Hang on to your headphones, people. This episode of The Self-Made Theory is a cracker. I talked to Joseph Mensel. And if you look at the photos that I've posted on our webpage and on Instagram and Facebook, you might be mistaken for thinking that Joe is just a very cut bodybuilder. But what you don't see is the very driven, very smart and very successful entrepreneur and CEO. Joe's business, Massive Joe's, is an incredibly successful online and bricks and mortar business that provides sports supplements, apparel and sports nutrition advice. In this episode, you're going to hear about the importance of first mover advantage, how passion will be the force that drives you through the hard times in business, why looking forward is more important than looking backward, and about changing direction when you're faced with adversity. I trust you'll enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it with Joe. Okay, welcome listeners. I'm here today with Joseph Mensel at Massive Joe's headquarters in Edwardstown in South Australia. Yes, welcome. you have arrived. Fantastic. I've just given you the Kentucky tour of the of the facility of the that message. we've got here. So. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Mm. It's pretty impressive. A little bit, of, little bit of scope for you, a little bit of perspective. So Now, this is the first time that I've, in all the podcasts that I've done, that I've actually had an interviewee who's had their own sound recording studio that we could record this in. <laughs> yeah, not a lot of people know that we, uh, well, I guess if you, if you watch some of our social media, you probably do know, um, but we've got, a, we've got a dedicated filming studio and, and audio recording studio here at, at MJHQ at Massive Joe's headquarters um, because we shoot so many videos and do so much content that it just made sense for us to have a room set up that we can kind of come in and, you know, cameras are good, microphones are good, and we can just, you know, do the content right then and there. So, so no excuses if I put up a bad audio. No, this will be, this has to be the best audio that's ever been on this podcast, or else someone's heads are going to roll. So, Joseph, Joseph we're going to start. I'm going to yeah. ask you for your elevator pitch about sure. who Massive Joe's is. Absolutely. So, my name is Joseph Mansell. As you introduced me, I'm CEO of Massive Joe's uh, TMJ Apparel. I'm an IFBB men's physique pro athlete. Um, from a Massive Joe's perspective, I guess... You know, I, I can I can kind of give you the sales pitch, but you know, I think probably the best way to introduce the the business is to give um, you know our mission statement. And our mission as a business is to provide the products and information to help people improve their lives through health and fitness, and that's what we do. Absolutely, yeah, good stuff. Quite quite simply, to keep it short, short, sharp, and concise. You know, obviously we we sell. Um, on a retail level, wholesale, distribution level as well, supplements and apparel. Um, you know, we, we do a lot of good stuff, but the, the, the mission, the, the driving force for us is to, to deliver the products and information to help people improve their life through health and fitness. And I think we do that better than anyone else. Having met you now yep. and knowing a little bit about your business, but not a lot, and we'll get into that. Yep. And having a bit of a walk around the office, I noticed that you had a couple of degrees up in your Oh, you, know, you caught those out the corner of your eye, so, did you? I did. <laughs> they were hidden behind the projector screen. And as the projector screen kind of <laughs> so came up and unveiled, I'm like, oh, shit. So here's a man who's got a couple of degrees. Yep. He's running a very successful business, and we all know business is, is a tough gig. Yes. And is a, an elite athlete in his own right. Yep. Where does the drive come? Where does the drive and determination come 
for Joseph Ventil? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a good question, and it's a question that um, I, I get quite frequently. As a matter of fact, you know, especially I guess people that kind of a lot of people know me from Massive Joes, but don't know, you know, so they'll know about Massive Joes, and part of that is the the pro athlete status, but a lot of people don't know about my past effectively you know what i did with basketball even going back to my teenage years um my degrees i have a a, a first class honors degree in mechanical engineering and a first class honors degree in law as well um you know my work prior to massive joe's um but people who do know kind of ask me that question and you know they say you know why you know why are you overachieving so to speak um and i think that you know the drive for me on a on a on a very kind of deep level, um, you know, just to just just to go straight, just just straight for it. Let's not let's not mess around. Just let's just go straight into the DNM. Um, come comes from me because you know my my background from both sides of my family, from my mum's side of the family and my dad's side of the family, was from um, from war effectively. So, right. um, you know, my mum's Italian, my dad's Polish. My mum's family um, emigrated from uh, from Italy. <clears throat> back when my mum was, uh, what was she, three years old, so back in the 60s, uh, you know, and my my uh, my mum's parents, my grandparents, Nonno and Nonno made the decision to effectively break the family up to travel to Australia to give their children and their grandchildren, that's me, um, opportunities that they wouldn't otherwise have had um, back then in Italy. Uh, on my dad's side, Polish, obviously, you know, World War Two, Germany invaded Poland. Um, you know, they were quite a well-off family, uh, but lost everything in the war, and they were kind of forced to move out of Poland, get out of Poland, to go somewhere where there was opportunity for the family and for the kids and for the grandkids, which is me once again. Um, you know, so there was a lot of sacrifice um, on both sides of my family. And I'm the firstborn. I'm the first of my generation, both on my mum's side and my dad's side. Um, so for me, you know, I, I appreciate the sacrifice. I respect the sacrifice. And, uh, you know, I'm just trying to make the most of the opportunities that have been presented to me because of that sacrifice. The, a couple of generations in and often those generations don't understand the yep. sacrifice. Yep. So is that something that was talked about? frequently or was that just something you picked up on and not just recognized not at all not at all not talked about at all um just something that that i you know i i picked up at a, a at a very young age i mean you know one of the definitely one of the catalysts for me understanding that um was my family uh we moved to uh to indonesia because back when i was when i was younger my dad um worked as a as a oil and gas engineer mechanical engineer in, in the oil and gas industry and um, was doing fly and fly out work um, out of a lot of different places but but Jakarta Indonesia was kind of where he settled for a while mm -hmm. um, so my dad did that for 20 years um, you know backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards to talk about sacrifice once again um, you know to provide uh, you know opportunities for for my sister and I for um, you know uh, his children to, to have that he didn't have so that's you know something else but as, as kind of what came out of that is when I was nine years old, um, my parents decided to pick the whole family up and, and move the whole family to uh, Indonesia to live. So we lived in Jakarta for a year. Um, and I think seeing that part of the world and seeing, you know, a third world country at that stage, at least it was, um, and how 
people in that sort of country who were my age at the time were living um, as, a, as a nine-year-old was very, very powerful. Um, and I think that that combined with me, you know, as I grew up kind of understanding the sacrifice that my parents were making with my dad flying in, flying out, you know, not getting to spend time with my mum that he otherwise would. And then my grandparents and everything they gave up to move to Australia and just all of these things kind of tied together. And I'm like, man, like I have an incredible opportunity here. Um, I'm just going to make the most of everything that comes my way. Um, and yeah, I guess that's kind of, that's the drive. Love it. I yeah. wish everybody had those experiences. Mm. Just imagine, just imagine if everybody had those experiences yeah. and were yeah. able to translate that into action like you have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it, it's it, it's something that that I'm definitely very grateful for. Um, you know, on, on both sides, grateful for the sacrifice, grateful that I understand the sacrifice, and grateful that I was able to have that experience as a, as a nine year old, ten year old, um, to really appreciate the opportunities because I saw that a lot of people didn't get them. Mm. So, where did the idea of Massive Joe's come from, and why why is that who you're you are today or who your business is today as opposed yeah. to perhaps furthering those uh furthering a career through your degrees that you yeah yeah um absolutely so it's a it's a it's a long story but i do have a way of, of i've uh, got time <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm not sure if the listeners have time um i do have a way of kind of condensing it down so when i was uh growing up as a, as a kid and as a teenager i used to play a lot of basketball um hence why we now i understand why you've got a little mini basketball court yeah we've got warehouse. an nba half court in that, a warehouse that, that makes sense um so I played a lot of basketball, um, did very well. You know, I was playing for state teams, national teams, and, and looked like I could do something with a career in basketball, um, which was, you know, once again, an opportunity that I was very grateful for. Unfortunately, I got injured um, quite young um, to the point where when I was 18, I developed two stress fractures in my lower back. Um, that really prevented me from being able to do anything as a performance athlete because, you know, you do two stress fractures on the same vertebrae in your spine. That's pretty much game over. Um, Did that devastate you? At the time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah hugely devastating. Um, you know, back then I was looking at, at going to the USA to college and, you know, that was kind of what I was planning on doing. And then it was kind of just like a, you know, a smack in the face. This isn't wow. going to happen. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of my sporting background. And, and through basketball, I'd been introduced to... Uh, strength and conditioning, so weight training to get better at basketball, you know, leg training to be able to jump higher, um, you know, upper body training to be able to push during contests and strength and conditioning training for performance for, for basketball. Um, so when my when I developed the stress fractures in my back, um, you know, the doctors and, and my physio, they said, you know, if you want to keep fit and healthy, uh, you know, you can't really do a whole lot of high impact stuff because it's too risky with your back but you can lift weights, you know, it's low impact, um, it's not risky activities, you're kind of always in control but you're not doing anything stupid, so just spend more time in the gym. And I always liked weight training, um, you know, most performance athletes who are listening to this probably hate weight training, that was definitely... You can tell I've got a weight training. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most people that play, you know, footy or basketball or tennis or whatever it is, love playing the sport, hate the training. Um, I love the sport, but I love the training as well. Like I really enjoyed weight training. Um, so I was cool with that. So I started spending more time in the gym just to kind of help keep fit and healthy. 
and quickly my competitive streak kind of came out and I was like, you know, how can I compete in weightlifting? So you've got a few options at that point. You either do like Olympic weightlifting, you do strongman competitions, powerlifting, or you do bodybuilding. And I'd always, you know, since I was a kid, I'd always kind of been, um, I guess, in awe of, of, of guys with amazing physiques, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Lou Ferrigno, all those kind of classic bodybuilders. Um, and I always kind of, I wouldn't say looked up to him, but I appreciated the way that they looked aesthetically. So I thought, you know, I might, I might try and compete as a bodybuilder um, and satisfy my, my athletic competitiveness through that sport rather than through, through basketball, which I could no longer do. So I started, you know, taking my training a lot more seriously into my first bodybuilding competition, did very well. Um, and I started taking an interest in increasing my performance as a bodybuilder. So I started taking supplements, started researching supplements, finding out what was on the market. At the time, this is going back to 2004, 2005. Um, in Australia, there was like nothing, like no supplements at all. Um, and what you could get was just not good quality. Whereas in the US, it was like the industry was just starting to take off. So there was a lot of cool new products. Pre-workouts were becoming a thing. Amino acids were becoming a thing. Protein powders were a big thing in the US. So I started importing products from the US for my personal use. So at the time I'd started, I was 18, almost 19 at this point. I'd started university. Um, I was training at the university gym at Adelaide Uni. And um, at, the, at that time, you know, competing in bodybuilding shows was very rare. Now it's a lot more, I wouldn't say mainstream, but it's a lot more accepted. Uh, back then it was like, you know, if you competed in a bodybuilding show, let alone did well, you were like, you know, it was some sort of notoriety, um, especially at university. So guys kind of knew me who were training at the university gym because I was that guy that was competing and, and I was the only guy that was competing and doing quite well. And so they'd see me roll up to the gym and drink my pre-workout and then <clears throat> during the workout, everyone's drinking water and I'm drinking colored stuff in a, in, a, in a shaker. And then after the workout, I'm having a protein shake. Everyone's going up to the uni bar to have a schnitzel and beer. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but they started asking questions. They were like, man, like, what is this, you know, what, what are you using? What is this stuff? And I, I told them about it. And so they were like, well, next time you do it, next time you import stuff for yourself, do you mind getting me some? I'd like to try. It's obviously working for you. You look great. You're doing well in competitions. I want to see what it's all about. So I did. So I started importing more and more and just selling to the guys at the university gym. And then you would know in South Australia, the, the universities are kind of connected. Uni, Adelaide Uni, UniSA, Flinders Uni, everyone kind of knows everyone. So before I know it, I'm selling supplements like out the back of my car, Adelaide Uni gym, UniSA gym, Flinders University. I'm kind of like supplying everyone that has an interest <laughs> in supplements <laughs> in the whole of South Australia in the university scene. Um, and then I kind of thought to myself at that stage, I was like, well, if there's this bigger market for this stuff, uh, you know, in, in, in just the universities in Adelaide, there must be a, a much bigger market across the entire country. So back in, um, just a backpedal, pause that story for a second, backpedal, back to um, high school. So high school, I was, I was, I always had a kind of entrepreneurial streak for lack of a better term. I'd always... You know, I, like I, I, I love telling this example. I'd be the guy that would go to the supermarket and buy a 24 or 30 can pack of Coke, Coca-Cola, take it to, to school and sell it out of my, um, out of my locker 
and undercut the, the tuck shop, right? And make money through that. You know, it would be a lot of money, it'd be five, ten bucks. But I, I, I was like that guy. You know, I used to do all sorts of that, that kind of bits and those, those sorts of kind of entrepreneurial things as a, as a kid back in high school. Um, and then I took an interest in e-commerce. So I started an eBay store back when I was in high school. I must have been 15, 16 at the time. And I used to sell, at the time I was selling iPods. Um, iPods were like the hot thing back then. You know, now it's iPhones, mm-hmm. but back when iPods first came out. Um, sold a bunch of stuff online. Um, really did quite well with Livestrong bracelets. The yellow Lance Armstrong yep. bracelets that were hot there for a while. I did really well with those. I was the only person selling those in Australia online. Um, so fast forward back now to the universities, selling all these supplements to all the, the, the universities in South Australia. Knew that there was a bigger market. Had this experience with online retailing on eBay. So the logical thing for me was to sell supplements on eBay. So I was like, I know how eBay works. I know how the e-commerce side works. I know how the supplement things work, the supplement side of things work. So let's put them together and let's see how we can go. So I was the first person to sell supplements on eBay in Australia. Put supplements on eBay. Back then, eBay was auction only. I was the only person selling supplements. Huge market for it. No one was doing it. I was buying tubs of pre-workout, landed from the US for like $30, say, selling for like $150 online. People just bid, 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 bid. So no one else was doing it. It's just supply and demand. So I was like, at the time, I'm like 18 years old. For work, I was like coaching basketball, tutoring, doing all the stuff that, you know, kids do for like 10 bucks an hour. And then I'm selling a tub of pre-workout on eBay and making like 100 bucks profit. I'm like, I need to like really like invest in this <laughs> very, very quickly. And I did. So I was, you know, I was selling a lot of supplements on eBay, making a lot of profit, huge GPs. Um, and as as often happens with any market or any industry or submarket, whatever it is, where there is someone dominating, making huge profits, is that quickly becomes eroded as competition comes in. And so the eBay thing lasted probably two or three months for me. And then all these competitors came in and there was more options and eBay switched from auction only to buy it now. And then people just kept slashing prices, prices very, very quickly. It kind of disseminated into this no one makes money mess. And I saw that as it was happening. And so I thought to myself, well, I need to get off this third party e-commerce site and I need to get onto my own platform where I don't have the competition, where I can set my prices and I can you know, offer people other things um, apart from just, just competing on price. And so I got with a, a friend of mine at the time who was studying web development at, uh, at the University of Adelaide and we created the first ever version of MassiveJoes.com. Wow. Yeah. And this was back in uh, 2005. So you've gone from selling out the boot of your car yep. to selling on eBay yep. to selling on Massive Joe's. Yes. Now you're still out of stores. Yes. Yes. And, and, and so that, I guess that, that, that story that I tell is a, is a very quick kind of overview, but it did happen very quickly as well. So what sort of period of time are we talking about? So the, that period of time you're talking about, you're talking about, man, like a year like literally 12 months from when from when that, that first person asked me about SUPS to me going through the whole eBay thing and deciding to set up my own website wow. was like a 12-month period. Okay. Then what happened was I was studying at university to difficult degrees in the big scheme of things, mechanical engineering and law, um, studying those two degrees. And why I, those two? Do they 
go naturally no, together? they don't go naturally so, together at all. It was so, a disaster. So how, <laughs> so how did how did you come to arrive at a decision to study both of those? To be completely honest with you, my decision process was this. I did quite well at school, got a really good tertiary entrance ranking. Um, so I could pretty much do whatever I wanted. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I kind of thought, you know, there's three fields of study that interest me. One's medicine, <clears throat> the second is law, and the third is engineering. Um, I, in South Australia, to get into med school, you need to pass a test. Back then it was called the UMAT test. I don't mm -hmm. know what they call it now, but it's like a medical entrance test. I did the test and I didn't pass. So that ruled out medicine for me out of the picture. What was left was engineering and law, and I decided to try and do both. <laughs> that was pretty much the decision making process. another overachievement right <laughs> yeah yeah 100 percent. yeah um but yeah so so back to the massive joe's thing so we went through that running massivejoes.com selling on the website i'm studying these two very difficult degrees i'm working at the same time um at, at santos which is a, an engineering company here in south australia an oil and gas engineering company i'm competing at the same time i had a lot of balls in the air juggling a lot of things so massive joe's was kind of a side project for me for the next six years i kind of just it just did its thing for the next six years um while i finished my studies while i finished study and then i got to 2011 uh where i'd finished engineering i'd finished law um, and i needed to make a real decision about okay what are you, what are you going to do now are you going to i was working at santos at the time at that time i started working for them in engineering and i moved to the legal departments at the time i was working in in mergers and acquisitions actually mm -hmm. which is really interesting work um but i needed to make a decision it was like okay what are you going to do now from a career perspective are you going to go and work as a oil and gas engineer or mechanical engineer in whatever field are you going to go and work as a lawyer in private practice or corporate or whatever it may be or are you going to go into business and you know try and give massive joes a red hot go uh, and at the time 2011 i made the decision to to kind of go all in um into massive joes and just kind of see what i could do with it and that's really when the business kind of that's when a lot of people would have found out about Massive Joe's, mm. you know, back, you're talking, you know, five, six years now. That's when we started with the retail stores and, um, you know, it, it kind of grew very, very quickly when I was 100% dedicated to it. Yeah, I bet. Mm. I imagine a lot of people look at your story and go, what a lucky guy. Right place, right time. Yep. Everything he touches turns to gold. Yeah. I'm sure it's not all like that. No, of course I'm sure not. there are no. a bunch of bad decisions that you made and yep. mistakes that you made and yep. things you look back on and go oh my gosh if i'd only done that differently 100%. yeah is there anything that you can share because i think we like, have this pers <laughs> this perspective of successful self-made people yeah, yeah, yeah. Of which you fall into that category yeah yeah of them just everything just goes perfectly yeah yeah you want me to tell you about what's happened today or uh, yesterday <laughs> or <laughs> i mean if we're talking about failures and stupid decisions i've got a I've, we can be here all day can we be? <laughs> yeah yeah is there anything particular that stands out you know for you that you know you think you know had i got some different advice or you know had i engaged you know someone in helping with the business plan or had i engaged a counter or a lawyer oh. or is there anything that you know that's that's a real tough one for me to kind of answer because I, I I really don't dwell on mistakes. I really don't dwell on failures. Um, I I acknowledge them. I learn lessons from them, and I move forward very quickly. 
um, you know, one, one of the things that, that has always kind of inspired me about people who I look up to, um, whether they're in the industry or outside the industry, business, athletics, whatever it may be, is their ability to mess up, make a mistake, uh, and move on very, very quickly, as if like nothing happened. You know, there's, you would have seen when I, when I showed you through the office, you may have noticed the, the prints around the office. I was going to talk to those here. Yeah, the motivational prints. So you, you can kind of see they're all done by me. So you got guys like Steve Jobs um, in business, Richard Branson, um, Sean Coombs. Uh, from an from a athletic perspective, Muhammad Ali, Arnold Schwarzenegger from an everything perspective. Um, you know, these are the kind of people I look up to. And just their, their ability to, to, you know, make really big mistakes you know, how many times Michael Jordan missed game-winning shots, but then came back the next night and won a game, you know. Or Richard Branson, the number of times that he made a huge, like, massive, massive mistake with Virgin or whatever business it was, but then the next year did something absolutely incredible. Like, it, you just move on. So well, people often equate mistake with failure. I yeah. made a mistake, therefore yeah. I'm a failure. And it's in fact well, that's not the case, right? You make a mistake, and it's a learning opportunity uh, for yeah for you going forward. So to, so to speak, I mean, m- mistake and failure are kind of interchangeable because I think if you make if you make a mistake and and you fail, they're kind of one in the same thing. But I think the problem is that that people kind of equate failure with something negative mm-hmm. um, when it's really not. Uh, you know, in a in in a micro sense, when you look at things in 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 a micro sense, yeah, you know. The, it could be negative because you messed something up or you made a wrong decision that, you know, cost a lot of money or, you know, cost someone their job or whatever it may be. On a micro sense, it's negative. But on a macro sense, you take the lessons that you learned from that mistake or that failure, you learn from them, you apply them to situations that occur in the future and you could do something incredible mm. that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to do if it wasn't for the mistake. Exactly. So when I view mistakes and failures... I acknowledge them for what they are. I understand that in the micro, they might be negative, but in the macro, they're always positive. You obviously lead a team of people here. Yeah. It's not just Joseph. No, There's not a team. At all. I've met some of your team. Yeah, it's a huge team. How do you do? Do they have the same view as you in terms of mistakes? And is that something that when you employ somebody is one of the core tenements when you employ someone about how they view that? Or is that something that you you try and bring to them as part of their learning when they come to join Massive Joe's? I think it's human nature to to view failure as negative. Agreed. I I think it is. I think most people are kind of wired to do that, Um, you know, regardless of ethnicity, race, what country you were born in, raised in, how you were raised. I think it's a human nature trait. Um, So I think it would be foolish of me to say that people who I employ at Massive Joe's or people who end up working at Massive Joe's, um, you know, are not wired that way. I think everyone's wired that way. One thing that I try and do and try and encourage as a leader is that mindset to go, you know what, you made a mistake, you messed up, you might have messed up really bad. Um, Even and even sometimes, you know, where I, I know that they're going to make a mistake. Like I can just, I can foresee it coming. It's like a, it's like a telegraph that I can see it <laughs> happening. Often I won't stop it because I know that the lesson that they're going to learn from making that mistake is going to make them a much better employee in the future. 
So I try and instill the mindset of you made a mistake, acknowledge it, understand the effect that it's had, understand the lesson that it's taught you, move forward very quickly, don't make the same mistake again and learn from it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I think it's really powerful Mm. and probably a major tenement to your success. Mm. Mm. What What's next for Massive Joe's? So we talked earlier about how uh, you don't like to dwell on the past, which I yeah. think is brilliant. Yeah. Uh, so what is the future of Massive Joe's? Oh, the now, future. obviously, don't put anything commercially sensitive <laughs> in here. Otherwise, we'll have to edit that out. But No, no, no. no. It's, uh, it's, it's a good question. Um, and what really drives us as a, as a business, as I mentioned to you in the, in the elevator pitch to start off with, um, was was our company mission, you know, to deliver the, the products and information to help people improve their lives through health and fitness. To be honest with you, if you're asking me what the 10-year future for Massive Joe's looks like, I can't tell you because things are changing so quickly in the industry that we operate in that I have no idea what 10 years is going to look like. I've got a plan of what we plan on doing as a business over at least next to five years, but it's flexible. So, you know, I can tell you what our plans are this year in terms of opening new retail stores, expanding our presence online, um, you know, so on and so forth. But, you know, that five-year plan, we may get three years in and, I mean, something happens in this industry or the retail industry as a whole that completely throws a spanner in the works and we go off in a completely different direction. Mm. The one thing that I can say is we will always be be doing everything that we can to fulfill that company mission so if that involves opening 200 retail stores over australia and starting to you know do bricks and mortar retail stores internationally well that's what we'll do if the market takes a turn where people just don't shop in bricks and mortar stores anymore and we just need to focus on online well then that's what we'll do uh, you know, if something happens where um, voice, for example, just dominates the way that people shop, well, then we'll be in voice. Uh, you know, we're, we're very adaptive to, to market changes, um, but the driving force is always the company mission. Mm-hmm. So we'll be doing whatever it is we have to do in the future to touch as many people as we can and improve as many lives as we can through health and fitness. So as a business leader... Yeah. When setting out on a direction or a strategy, Mm -hmm. there's a couple of different thoughts around speed to market, Mm -hmm. quick, get to market, make mistakes along the way, Mm -hmm. fix those as you go. Mm -hmm. Or at the other end of the spectrum, you have those who do the detailed business planning, full market analysis, and spend a whole bunch of time with the accountants and lawyers and other people around... How does Massive Joe's work? Very fast. Yeah. Very fast. We're, we're the first to kind of jump in and do anything. Uh, you know, the, a business of, of, of this size now, we, we have to have those discussions. <laughs> you know, those, those real quote unquote business discussions with accountants in particular, um, lawyers. And, you know, we need to make sure that we're making uh, corporate corporately responsible decisions. Mm-hmm. But we're always the first mover you know we i mean we always have been and we always push to be in everything that we do so you know if there's an opportunity that we can kind of see presenting itself on the horizon we'll be the first to do it i had a discussion this morning with with the guys over at i I call it it island because you and i know what we're talking about but our it team here at massive joe's now web development team um 
about something that we're we're pursuing at the moment that I can't tell you guys about because it's commercially sensitive, but something that is working very well in other industries that no one on the planet has done in the supplement industry. Cool. And we're going to start working on that next month. So like straight away, um, you know, we're very fast, always first movies. I imagine that will be a challenge that the year you get. Uh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah, and that's it's definitely something that, you know, over the... The, the years that I've been running this business and in particular, you know, going back to 2011 when I kind of went all in. Um, so, you know, take the last six years um, is something that's definitely changed as, as the bigger the company gets, the more corporate the company gets. Um, and the more, the more, I would say the more difficult it is to be a first mover, but the more conscious you have to be of the corporate consequences of your actions. Um, so, you know, I don't have the kind of flexibility that I had to do what I wanted to do back when it was just me running the business mm -hmm. or just me and two other people. You know, now we've got 30, I think the last count was like 35, 36 staff. Wow. I don't even know anymore. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that, that there's a lot of responsibility that comes along with that because you're responsible for a lot of people's well-being. Mm. So, you know, if you're going to dive into something that has very little upside with a huge downside... Well, you know, people could lose their jobs. That's mm. what it comes down to. So there's 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 definitely uh, a lot more corporate responsibility that it attaches to my decisions with regards to being first to market and moving quickly. Um, you know, fortunately, I'm always the person that wants to move very quickly, and then I kind of come up against the responsible people in the business that kind of say, "Well, you know, it doesn't really look like a great idea." So maybe let's have another chat about it. Let's have another think about it. Sounds like you've probably got a good balance. Yeah, I think moment. so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any days where you've sat back and gone, what the hell am I doing here? Yeah. Why didn't I just become a lawyer? Every day. <laughs> at least once a day. I wasn't expecting you to say yeah. that. <laughs> no, at least literally, literally, I would, I would say at least once a day. I'd just be like, man, like this is hard. Mm. Like this is really hard. Um yeah, and I, I mean, I, I'm generally speaking, I'm a, I, I'm a very positive person. I'm kind of full of energy. Um, I wouldn't call myself extrovert because I'm not really an extrovert, but I'm generally pumped up, full of energy, I'm very positive about everything. But man, I, I tell you, at least once a day, I, I have at, at least a moment where I go, I wish that I could just go home at six o'clock tonight <laughs> and knock off. Turn the brain off. And turn, the, yeah, and turn mm. the brain off and watch Netflix and chill or do whatever mm. I want to do. But it's just not, it's not my reality. My reality doesn't look like that. And I don't um, think there's any business owner whose reality is that. No, I don't Very think so. Anyway. I, I, yeah, I don't think so. I think it's kind of something that, you know, to, to, um, to be attracted to business, to be attracted to, entrepreneurship um so to speak um you know there's there's some wires loose in your brain that kind of <laughs> push you to be attracted to that um if you know what it's all about and i mean you know that's that, another thing at the moment is a lot of people think it's kind of fashionable to be in business they kind of you know they want to put entrepreneur in their instagram profile or their facebook about me pa uh, page um but they don't really understand what that means you know it's just kind of it's a cool term at the moment um when there's you know there's a lot of things that are not so cool about it but it's part of part of it part and parcel 
all the entrepreneurs that I've met mm. and the self-made business people that I've met, mm. there's a, generally an underlying theme there. Yeah. And it's the passion they have for what their business does for people mm -hmm. or the product that they produce. Yeah. And I can clearly see that in you. Yeah. How much does that passion drive you past those hard times? How much does that passion, how important is that passion, do you think, for a self-made person or an entrepreneurial person running their own business? How important is it? I think that. it's a, it's an absolutely vital element because I think that if you if you don't have a why, which is what I call it, I say like, what's your why? Why are you doing this? What's mm -hmm. your deeper reason for doing this? If you don't have a why, which is always driven by passion, uh, you'll quit. Like you just throw the towel in because it it becomes it's hard. You know, I, I mentioned to you that I have at least one time a day, one moment a day where I, where it's really hard, and I kind of wish that I went down a different path. But there's periods of, you know, days, weeks, months, sometimes years where it's really, really hard. And if you don't have a why, if you don't have passion driving you, nothing is going to push you past that. You just go, nah, like this is just, why am I doing this? And if you can't answer it with, because I'm insanely passionate about what I'm doing, for people or the product or whatever you whatever drives your passion, you can't answer that question. And if you can't answer that question, you you quit. You will because it's just it, it's hard. <laughs> it's I difficult. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, that's fantastic. Mm. Brilliant. Well, thank you, Joseph, for telling your story. You're welcome. I think it's a fantastic story. It's yeah. a great South Australian story. Yeah. Why haven't you? Why have, you left, why have you maintained your business in South Australia? Because plenty of people, when they start to expand, yeah. Yeah. particularly nationally, they go, you know what, I could do this better from somewhere else for some other reason. Mm -hmm. Why are you still here? Because I don't think there's anywhere else that we could do it better. Good. You know, I think that uh, that that the ADL, as I as I call Adelaide, um, you know, the ADL is is the best place where we can do the best work. Uh, I, I honestly, I. I can't think of anywhere else that we can do better work. Brilliant. Really. Good stuff. Mm. Thank you very much. Thanks You're for sharing welcome. your story. Absolutely. And My pleasure. Uh, we need to tell the listeners mm -hmm. how to contact Massive Joes. Just Google Massive Joes. <laughs> That's the easiest way. So you're on Facebook, way. you're on Instagram. There's everything. I can, we can, I, I mean, you can Facebook massivejoes.com, Instagram Massive Joes, my personal Instagram, Joseph Mansell, YouTube channel Massive Joes, Periscope, if anyone still uses that, Massive Joes, Twitter Massive Joes, website massivejoes.com, Snapchat Massive Joes, just Google there's, Massive Joes. no shortage of ways <laughs> to contact you. It's impossible for you not to, not to hear about, <laughs> and that's how we've set it up. We do, that's very intentional. Um, you know, it's, you'll find us. Yeah, brilliant. And if you don't find us, we'll find you. All right. Thanks, mate. No worries. Much appreciated. Thank you. Cheers. to say the drive determination and passion that joe has for his business and his people is incredible it's what i see in a lot of very successful entrepreneurs i love the fact that he was an early adopter of internet-based selling but over time he's moved and transformed his business dare i use the word pivot which seems to be the buzzword for today and he's remained relevant to his customers for many years it's a great south australian story 
We'd love for you to subscribe to The Self-Made Theory on your favourite podcast app and on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. Or send me an email at podcast at theselfmadetheory.com. Until next time, keep innovating, overcoming and prospering.